<clears throat> so, Pastor Ben, uh, like you know, there was a study done back in 2016 by LifeWay Research. Uh, they did a study um, uh, coming for um, uh, American evangelicals, just uh, over here, 12 lies that American evangelicals believe. Uh, now then, so the first lie that's listed on this only study... Only 12. Only, <laughs> only 12. <laughs> uh, let, let's, hone, let's hone it into 12. We can't... Can't be here much longer. Let's see. So the first lie here, or we're going to deal with this today. Personal salvation depends on good works. So for this for this first lie, uh, they did a study, and three quarters of Americans agreed that people must contribute their own effort for personal salvation. Uh, according to the study, a uh, a full half said good deeds help them earn a spot in heaven. Uh, that's a quote directly from the study. Um, there are some scriptures on, on here that, uh, that that seem to refute that particular idea. Uh, what would you say in regards to this particular lie? Personal salvation depends on good works. I would say just anecdotally, based on you know people that I know and growing up in the Bible Belt in America, that uh, that statistic sounds right to me. I would I would say if you went out on the street and just asked people, even in our community. Um, if they believe that they had to do something to contribute to their salvation, most people are going to say yes. So I, I would say that that's a pretty common error that people believe. Of course, um, every religious system other than the gospel actually does teach that, um, that there's something that a, a person has to do. That's one of the things that makes the gospel unique. Um, but uh, no, I don't, I don't think that... Uh, I don't think that we can contribute something that increases our odds of being saved or that somehow persuades God to do something other than what he's decided to do. Um, I don't think we have uh, the ability to do that. Um, I mean, one scripture I would read, there's several that come to mind, but one passage uh, that I think is relevant to this question is in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1, um, verse 8, Paul uh, says, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, or of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity, but now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher." Uh, I read the whole part of that for a greater context, but the emphasis there is is Paul's clearly saying, as he says in his other books, um, that salvation is not according to works. Uh, he literally says it's not according to works, mm-hmm. but that it's according to God's own purpose and grace, um, and that God saves us and he calls us. And so mm-hmm. if you ask what can a person do uh, to contribute to their salvation, the answer is nothing, because according to the Scriptures, um, God decides who's he's going, who he's going to save. He's the one that saves those people. Um, that decision is based on uh, his own purposes and based on him giving grace to people. And he gives grace to who, whomever he chooses to give grace to. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so it's not based on works. And, and we see this evidenced in real life. Mm-hmm. Um, we see Christians who, who stumble and fall into great sins and, and things like that. We see people who are not Christians who seem uh, more moral at times or more ethical in their practices. And you say, well, surely this person deserves to be saved more than this Christian who had some kind of public sin or has an addiction or whatever the case may be. 
but the reality is is that uh the only difference between the one person being saved and the other difference or and the other person being saved is actually uh, what God has decided to do and not what those people have done. Mm-hmm. So I think that's part of it. And, and I think something that strikes at the heart of this is the holiness of God. Mm-hmm. And so when we talk about God's holiness, you know, we could do a whole other conversation <laughs> about that. But the short answer is, is his holiness is, is his separateness or his distinctness from other things that God is... Uh, holy in every sense that he's actually thrice holy. Um, and so he's uh, set apart from human beings. Mm-hmm. He's actually set apart from the entire physical world. Right. And he's set apart even from metaphysical beings like angels. He's completely set apart. There's only one like him. And so in his uniqueness and in his separation, uh, his standards, therefore, of what is acceptable to him are are equally as holy as he is. And so how could a, a human being who exists in the created universe uh, perform a righteous deed that would, would be so uh, powerful that it would be acceptable to a transcendent and holy God? Mm-hmm. Uh, the answer is, is that it's not possible. Right. And so the only way for a work to be done that would be pleasing to God is it would have to be a, a holy work, not in the sense of even just perfection from sin, but in the sense that it would have to actually be a transcendent work even in and of itself, mm-hmm. that it would have to extend beyond the natural world to, to change something on a spiritual level or a metaphysical level in order to actually appease God. And so, uh, for instance, Jesus going to the cross and and his body uh, being killed uh, on the cross, uh, yes, he, he, he did take punishment, but, but that physical punishment is really more representative of the true punishment, which is the, the holy spiritual wrath of God being poured out on him uh, on behalf of his people. Mm-hmm. And so when you think about the amount of holiness that Jesus had to possess in order to even survive that judgment, um, it's more than it's more than people really think about often. They think, well, Jesus uh, lived a, a perfect, sinless life. He was just a really good person, and because he was perfect and never did anything that God thought was wrong, then God just accepted him. Right, yeah. But it's more than that. And the reason why is because if you think about how holy God is, God is so holy that if a person transgresses against him one time, Mm -hmm. if they sin against him, the punishment for that is an eternity of torment in hell, according to the Bible, which means the payment required for one sin is so great that that a mortal person uh, is given a body that cannot be destroyed and then suffers in, in an eternal hell forever to try to satisfy the payment of that sin, but even after an eternity in hell, they still can't satisfy even that one sin. Mm-hmm. So Jesus' holiness was was so great that not only was he able to satisfy God's wrath for one sin, specifically the one that Adam committed that got us all in this situation in the first place, but for everyone who believes that he has perfectly made satisfaction for every sin that was laid on him. And so when you think about the holiness of God and his demands, 
in order to believe that you can do a work, that you can do something good that God's going to accept, you have to reduce His holiness basically an infinite amount in order for your work to even be uh, effective for Him at all. Um, but essentially, He just has to become like you. He has to become like a human being in order for any of that uh, to be acceptable to him. But we know that his ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts and his holiness is beyond what we're able to comprehend that if we were to look on him, uh, that we would die mm-hmm. immediately be, just because of his holiness, because we are not even able to uh, exist in the presence of this holiness. And yet Christ uh, taking on the sins of his people on the cross satisfied every single sin and so, uh, as uh, one theologian put it, the only thing that you contribute to your salvation is the sin that makes it necessary. Mm-hmm. So, so if you're trying to do something to earn God's favor, you are doing that. Uh, what you're doing is essentially just heaping judgment on yourself because the Scripture clearly says that our righteousness is like filthy rags to Him. In other words, the best that you bring to Him is utterly and woefully unacceptable. Uh, compared to the holiness that he requires. And so the only hope that we have, the the whole point of the gospel is the only hope that we have is that someone greater than us must do a work greater than we can do so that our sins can be forgiven. And so are we saved by works? Yes, we are are saved by works, but it's not by ours because ours are unacceptable. Even if we were sinless, they would be unacceptable because we are mortal human beings trying to satisfy a transcendent God but the God-man, who is fully God and fully man, is able to die for men and, and pay for the sins of man and also satisfy uh, a, a transcendent and a holy God. Wow. So, uh, um, so some, something else found in this particular study, um, it, it, ha- it has a, a refutation to, to this particular, um, to, to anyone who would come against the concept of personal salvation depending on good works. Um, m- m- many people that, that, we've, that we've even had have encounters with, with our um, Mormon missionaries that we've had run-ins with, they'll, they'll bring up James 2, that uh, faith of that works is dead. So the, the, that concept, why do you think that that particular um, verse wouldn't be, wouldn't come um, into conflict with what you just said about God's holiness? Yeah, so that's a good that's a good question, and that's usually the verse that comes up. And uh, first of all, we never want to try to build a doctrine around one verse. That's just not that's just not good uh, practice in general. You can end up with a lot of errors that way. And so we believe that Scripture interprets Scripture. So uh, the Holy Spirit is not going to say one thing in James and then say another thing in Romans and then contradict each other because the Holy Spirit is actually the author. Uh, of Scripture and not James and Paul. Mm-hmm. They're just the writers. And so because we believe that, then those statements have to be in agreement with one another. So then how do we understand Paul making a statement like we just read in Second Timothy that uh, you were not saved according to your works, but according to God's purpose and grace, and yet James saying that uh, faith without works is dead. How, how do we reconcile those two things? Well, y- Paul is making a statement about the nature of salvation. Um, it's a prescriptive statement. He's saying, the Bible says you cannot be saved by your works. Mm-hmm. James is making a descriptive statement about salvation. Okay. So he's not saying uh, you have to do works in order to be saved. He's not saying that. He's saying 
if someone tells you that they're saved and they have no works, they're lying. That's essentially what he's saying. Mm-hmm. Uh, John goes into this too in First John. Pretty much the whole book is about that. Of uh, if you say that you have love for your brother and yet you hate him in your heart, then you're a liar, and the truth of God is not in you. Um, or anyone who says uh, that they walk in the light but they live in darkness is actually in darkness. They're actually not in the light. And so there's a lot of that teaching there. And and uh, Martin Luther said it well. Uh, we're not saved by works, but we are saved by a faith that works. Mm. And so. As a Christian, you are born again. You are made a new creature. You're not the same person that you used to be. So if everything about your life is the same as it used to be, that doesn't mean uh, that God has done something wrong. That just means that you're the same person that you used to be. And so uh, we don't strive to be a different person because we can't do that. We can't change ourselves. But when we're born again, we actually are a different person. And so uh, the person who uh, steals doesn't steal anymore. The person who commits adultery doesn't commit adultery anymore. The person with addiction uh, turns away from the idols that they're worshiping and worships the true God and finds their satisfaction in him and not in substances or practices. Mm -hmm. That's, that's the indication of change. And so this Christianity is not going out on the street to the homeless person or the struggling couple in their marriage or the person that's in the bonds of addiction or whatever the case may be. Christianity is not going to that person and saying, God just wants you to do better. That That's actually oppressive. Um, Christianity is saying, hey, the only way that you're going to get out of this situation is if you die and you're born again. You, you have to be made a new person. And then the old person that did the drugs or fought with their spouse or uh, was abusive or uh, uh, was secretly prideful in their heart or had problems with anger, you don't have to be that person anymore because that person is actually crucified with Christ, as Mm. Paul says, and yet you live, but it's not you that lives, it's Christ that lives in you. And so as you live out the Christ that's in you, it's going to look different. And so essentially James is warning them there that, of what we see in our culture now, saying you're a Christian and being a Christian are two different things. And in your own strength, you can do works for a while and and put on a good show. But really at the end of your life, if you're still walking with Christ and there's still fruit in your life that you're not the same person that you used to be, that's the closest indicator that we can have uh, that you truly are saved. And the way the scripture would say is those who persevere to the end shall be saved. And again, how do we persevere to the end? It's not uh, by our works, Mm -hmm. because even saved people still sin all the way up until the day they die, Mm -hmm. but they persevere because of God's grace. So the grace that that, uh, Christ won for you at the cross that saves you is the same grace that preserves you until the end. And so our hope when we continue to wrestle with sin as Christians is not in our ability to do better. It's in the belief that Christ has done better already. Wow, that that, um, that, that that's a that's a really good personal reminder that you're even that um, because Christ has saved you, you are so saved that you can't unsave yourself, even if you tried. Yeah, I, <laughs> I have a friend that says it this way. He says, "I'm so saved I couldn't go to hell if I wanted to." Oof. <laughs> wow. Oh dear. Well, um, well, uh, ben, uh, Pastor Ben, thank you so much for doing this. Uh, this. This was a really good start to the series. Yeah. Yeah. All right.